When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Making 44, first and 10. Handoff, Carson runs laterally to the near sideline and thrown out of bounds. Late hit by Rhodes. That'll be a flag. The loss was a couple on the play. But now that flag will go against Minnesota. And again, Xavier Rhodes for his hit out of bounds right in the Seattle bench below us. Penalty pushes the ball to the 30 of Minnesota. They take out Rhodes. He hasn't been a help of him in the, in the secondary anyway. Okay, welcome in to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin here for the first hour. Alex Boone joins the two of us in hour number two. Courtney, you are off a flight from Seattle. You walked in the studio and you said, we need to discuss Mike Zimmer's defense. 37 points by the Seattle Seahawks last night, over 200 yards on the ground, which is only the fourth time in the Mike Zimmer era that someone has run for over 200 yards. Where do you want to begin with, listen to this, the 17th ranked defense, I'm sorry, 16th in total yards and the 20th ranked defense. You have that right. 20th ranked defense against the pass in yards allowed. They are worse just behind the New York Jets in terms of their pass defense. Where would you like to begin? They had 15 days between games. And I never bought into the notion that they could just fix their pass defense. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that I understand like what they were saying and what they had to say to kind of save face there to be like, yeah, our cornerback unit is the biggest liability, is going to cost us games, has cost us games. And going forward, they do not know how to fix this. That's the bottom line. They do not know how to fix this because you can't make that many adjustments with your personnel in season. So they go into Seattle. They say, hey, Russell Wilson, he's pretty darn good at getting out of the pocket and making those throws on the run. Mm -hmm. So we're going to try to take that away. You have the fifth-ranked run defense in the NFL. Should be able to stop Rashad Penny and Chris Carson, or at least limit them more than 218 rushing yards allowed. And the yards before contact, 143 last night, was a season high for the Seahawks and the worst that the Vikings had given up since the last time they played the Seahawks in December of 2018. What does this lead to? Russell Wilson asked postgame about how come you guys are so effective running the ball? I mean, man, fifth-ranked run defense, you expected a lot more from Minnesota. And his quote 
my eye, like they were, you know, we're all in the press box and they have the TVs above, like, and you can hear as the press conference is going mm-hmm. on, you're trying to write, uh, if, if you can't make it down there, all that. And my eyes, I think, popped out of my head momentarily as I was listening to Russell Wilson and what he had to say. So why were they so successful running the ball? Quote, they kept playing too high shell, just super deep. They didn't want any shots thrown on them. So we said, okay, and we'll just run it and do what we do really well. Mike Zimmer, when he asked whether he was surprised at how much Seattle ran the ball early on and how much they stuck with it, quote, a little bit. I thought they would be throwing the ball a bit more than they did what they've done in the past. They stuck with it a lot more than I thought. What does this boil down to? When you're playing with two deep safeties, trying to mitigate the your biggest problem on defense, your cornerback unit, you end up screwing yourself because you expose another area of your defense that got gashed up and down the field. They were averaging like five yards per carry at one point, and... I just don't see this as a fixable problem. Like, I, I mean, it's something that can easily be remedied as this team goes down the final quarter of the season, goes into the post, goes into the playoffs. Because right now, there's, they're not in a, I mean, yes, they're a game ahead of the Rams, which that's something to keep an eye on, but they're in the sixth seed. They really shouldn't fall out of the sixth seed because they've got Detroit at home this weekend. They've got the char- a reeling Chargers team that loses in absurdly annoying fashion every single week. A week after that, they've got the Packers and they've got the Bears. To me, this is a first-round playoff exit team. You cannot put it on Kirk Cousins. You cannot put it on the offense. You have to put it on this defense, which has been figured out. Bottom line, it has been figured out, and I don't think they have the time or the wherewithal to remedy that with four games left. Do you know why I have You're going to make me do a pie note? chart. Yes. <laughs> I have a sticky note I'm on note like 45 minutes of sleep, so yep. this might be and really bad. There you go. Uh, maybe all of a sudden you will be able to make a good pie chart because you haven't slept a lot. Here's what your pie chart needs to be. Okay. Pie chart of blame for the defense being now a bottom half of the league defense. Say it again. Wow. A bottom half of the NFL defense for the Minnesota Vikings. This is something that we have not said um, really since Zimmer's first year, but the improvement was so huge in the first year that he doesn't deserve to be criticized for that. But even in a clearer statistic that gathers everything and factors um, in you know, uh, some of the outside stuff, like expected points added, they're 17th. So there's no way to sugarcoat it or say, no, no, they're secretly a lot better than that. No, they're, they're really not a great defense. They're not a horrendous defense. They're not the Arizona Cardinals or the Miami Dolphins, but they are not a very good defense. So who is to blame for that? And I'm going to let you pick the contestants okay. because you don't have to just say, is it Mike Zimmer or is it the front office or is it this player or that player? You can kind of pick whoever you want, and I'll give you a dark horse if you want in terms of pie chart of blame, your dark horse would be Kirk Cousins because Kirk Cousins is taking up a massive amount of cap space with his contract. And, of course, I would not have advised Cousins to turn down $28 million a year and $84 million guaranteed. But the moment he signed that deal, we all said, hey, you know what's going to be really hard to do when you sign a quarterback to that type of contract? Oh, yeah, keep together a number 1 defense because players fall off and you have to let guys like Sheldon Richardson leave and good players like Brian Robinson or Terrence Newman, they get older and it's hard to replace them if you don't have the cap space to do that. And they've been brilliant 
when it comes to managing the cap space and keeping players that they wanted to keep like Anthony Barr and Everson Griffin. But what's hard is you can't just go out in free agency and get a solid upgrade player. So, for example, when you lose Sheldon Richardson in free agency, you have to bring back Shamar Steffen, who's okay in a rotational role, but not good in a starting role. And you can't just find some other guy who's going to cost you $10 bucks to replace the production that Sheldon Richardson gave you last year. And what was always weird to me was when um, they would take little jabs at Sheldon Richardson about his rushing defense, and yet he was putting on a ton of quarterback pressures that they have not been able to replace. I'll get you the exact number on that from last year, but just to use it as an example of how things change so quickly... Sheldon Richardson last year had 47 quarterback pressures last year, which put him in the top 20 at his position. So that means every time your rushers from the outside are getting around, they're stepping up into Sheldon Richardson. Mm -hmm. Now, Shamar Steffen, we know he's not a big pressure guy. Like, that's not his thing. Uh, He has six. Last year, Sheldon Richardson had 47 pressures playing the same position. Shamar Steffen has six this year. And think about the guys that are behind him, too. That go in on passing downs that yep. go in. They're not, like, they're not the down. same. No, of course not. Oh, well, uh, real quick, some breaking news in the NFL. Uh, Ron Rivera fired. Oh. Okay, there we go. So, Panthers have fired Ron Rivera. Yeah, how about that? Uh, we can talk about that more later, but we need to get to your pie chart. I'm done with it, too. Like, you, thank okay, you for that, filibustering for a little bit. beautiful. What is going on? Maybe you should never sleep before pie charting. Okay. Show it to the camera if you can, because we are streaming on uh, Twitter if you want to go to Twitter and listen. Okay. All right. Give so me, give me pie your pie chart. chart. Of blame for the defense. Yep. And you could pick anybody you want. And I went with 50% was my highest mark, and that is for cornerbacks slash pass defense. I'm lumping everyone in together. Oh, okay. Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, mostly Xavier Rhodes. But, I, you know, I think the whole cornerback unit as a whole, there is something wrong here. Do they just forget? Are they being taught something different? Technique-wise, because it doesn't make any sense. I think it's because Xavier has fallen off, and now he needs help. He needs yes. he needs training wheels now, or he gets burned. And there, here's the thing: we were talking about this yesterday, um, trying to you know turn the wheels and figure out what the hell's going on. I don't know since they've gotten away because they had to get away from Xavier just being stuck on one guy. This is your guy. You shadow this receiver. Right, he you was getting killed. See ball, hit ball. Fine ball. Do whatever you have to do with the ball. That's the type of thing. Like, it, it's a very cerebral type thing where he's just like locked in on that. Yep. When you have to play like a version of pattern matching and you have to think and you have to react, and he's not very good at that, that right now. Call that age. Call that the fact that maybe he's a little bit heavier and thicker in areas that may be making him slow. I'm not calling him overweight, but I'm saying he looks bigger to me this year. I've been, I've been trying, I've been struggling to figure out what it is. But he's bigger than me this year. So I don't really know how you fix that. Maybe he's slow. Maybe he's regressed. I mean, there's so many things here. I think the injuries have caught up. The injuries, yes. But the but the most infuriating part is that we've been call we've been calling this gaff out for weeks, for months. Mm-hmm. And every time Mike Zimmer's up at the podium, the blame does not go towards Xavier. It's technique. He needs to get back to doing things the way that he used to, et cetera, et cetera. At some point, your biggest liability is going to kill your season. And last night, everything coming to a head on the sideline after he gives up that 60-yard touchdown to David Moore, I think he threw his arms up and he was expecting safety help, but 
the way that the play was designed, all Zimmer would say was that it was a busted coverage. Because um, there was some interaction between him and Harrison Smith on the sideline. Yeah. Like they were trying to like figure out well what happened. Um, and then obviously Rhodes takes his helmet, throws it not once but twice. That made a whole ton of sense. He and Zimmer are getting into it. How much more are we going to go on with this? Like that's that's my thing. It's like I think they it, should have taken the keys away from Xavier yeah, after he got ago. smoked against the Giants by a guy I've never heard of who is a fifth round draft pick. The rookie, yes, yeah, I, mean, I know. And, and then Zimmer went off on him on the sideline, and it looked to me at that point, especially because that was the game where Mike Hughes was terrific. Yeah, it's like okay, we're seeing we should be seeing a changing of the guard. If the guy behind Xavier Rhodes was Joe, who cares, who can't play. Then I'd be like, well, there's really nothing you could do here. It's a first round pick. Yeah. That's who's behind Xavier Rhodes. And Mike Hughes has struggled, but he was actually pretty good last night. And overall, like, his numbers are much yeah. better in terms of throwing into his coverage. Xavier Rhodes, by the way, so you're giving 50% to the corners, yes. is now, after last mm-hmm. night, third worst in the entire NFL when targeted in terms of quarterback rating against. He is turning opposing quarterbacks into the greatest quarterback of all time. 132.6 rating when throwing at him, and that does not factor penalties. Nope, and which... he has a team-high eight penalties this year. So Pro Football and... Focus gives him 10, and that may include other penalties, Yeah, which that's... is the most in the NFL. So not only is he sorry, the worst it's a, when... Yeah, it's a team-high yes. 10, and I think it's league-high for cornerbacks, is it not? It is after last night. Okay. Yep, he is tied with some guy named Carlton Davis, who plays for Tampa Bay. Um, So he's allowed the highest completion percentage. It's the nearest defender this season, highest completion percentage of the league, highest of his career. Um, Last night, according to NFL Next Gen stats, they they do it as like the closest defender, so yeah. they kind of A assign, little differently than PFF, yeah, but yeah. Sign blame differently. Uh, F- Russell Wilson is 5 for 5 for 105 yards and the 60-yard touchdown. Whew. I say this because I just cannot figure it out. How much more do you need to see? Right. Yeah, that's what I agree. You have guys waiting We were done after wings. last year. If you, you and I were done after last year with him. If you kept Holton Hill around... You must have kept him around for some reason, other than the fact maybe you think he's a great teammate. You don't keep a guy who's suspended for eight games unless he has... Nobody has a leash that long if they suck. That is bottom line. Right. So why is he not playing more? Why can you... Why... He's played 15 snaps this year. It's just... It's just... it's, It's maddening. And look, I can't fault Mike Zimmer for trying to figure this out, for trying to stay with this guy, because he savaged him. Absolutely savaged him at the owners' meetings. That's yes. what happened. Yep. I actually thought it should have been done then, shouldn't it? When Xavier Rhodes was liking tweets on Twitter that yes. said Xavier Rhodes needs to go somewhere else, it probably should have been done at that point. Uh, and side note: Holton Hill last year allowed a 67 quarterback rating into his coverage in 31 throws. Yep. Small and sample, but he was good. So before I lose my mind on this, yeah, who else do you? Yeah, that was 50. percent That's only half your pie. Yeah, well, I have 15 more minutes in this segment, so That's I'm true. just going to yeah. go all in. 10, 10 more. Um, so 25% no interior pass rush. Uh-huh. Yep. Like There totally were agree. moments last night where you're watching Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin work the edge so effectively and, and just so consistently, both of them, how well they're playing this year, ranked in the top five. I think at least at one point, Daniil was number one. I need to check on if it's an updated figure of most pressures I'll generated right um, by Pro Football Focus. They're not the problem. They have no interior push. Russell Wilson was, one, was able to, sta- to was able to you know stand up in the pocket. I mean, this is what he does. Like he's not afraid of that. But when you give him no threat of an interior pass rush, that's allowing the deep shots downfield in in 
in terms of, I know Linville Joseph, Joseph was coming back yesterday off of injury. He was kind of on a pitch count, it appeared. Shamar Steffen's not generating those pressures, as you clearly pointed out at the beginning of the hour. Um, their rotational guys aren't either. That, to me, is a big problem because it's making you so vulnerable on the back end. So that's 25% for me. Um, I put Zimmer slash adjustment slash coaching at 15%. And, you know, it's not to completely absolve coaching of any sort of responsibility here. And I he had 15 days. But can you really expect somebody to fix your pass defense in 15 days? I don't know. He had four days or he had um, 10 days of time before when that they hit rock bottom in L.A. last year, allowing a perfect passer rate in Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. And then they looked really darn good against the Eagles yeah. when they come back 10, however many days later mm-hmm. uh, in week five. So it can be done. I just think that it's not coaching. I think it's the personnel. Yeah. I think it is clearly the personnel, which you know obviously feeds into why I had that. Fifty percent so high, and Zimmer's been really brilliant, like you said, at doing it through his yeah, whole career. Like, I mean, from Dallas to Cincinnati to here, I think he's got to be frustrated as heck too with yeah. this. Like this is this is continue a continual problem that's not going away. Um, so that leaves me at ten percent, and I put that as kind of that Kirk category of cap space and yeah. not being able to go out and get the Jalen Ramseys and you know make big defensive acquisitions. Have to let Sheldon Richardson go. That was like. You know, that's the off season that we, you know, talked about. Right. How I'm sure they, they would have kept him if they had the space. But it's also decision making with cap space. Like I think about that. Yes. Anthony Barr. Like, are you regretting that one right now, Minnesota? Now, now you're now you're getting into my alley yes. a little bit. Like so yeah. A well, perfectly done pie I, chart. I also made a pie chart. And I only oh. have fifty percent and fifty percent. I've cut it right down the middle. Sim loyalty. Fifty percent like is Kirk's contract. And I know that if you think I hate Kirk, you should read my article about how last night was not Kirk's fault. Um, but when you sign someone to a contract that big, then you aren't going to be able to um, sustain a great defense. It's mm-hmm. it's it's just logic. I mean, the Seattle Seahawks are another great example. How about the Green Bay Packers? Like, Green Bay even was able to sign some guys, but they don't have a great defense still. They have some good players, but not a great defense. And when you look at Seattle, they sign Wilson to that huge contract, and then all of a sudden, guys get old. They can't replace them. They can't pay for them. They're not going to sign Jadavion Clowney to a massive contract. He's a one-year rental because why? Oh, yeah, they don't have the cap space. Mm -hmm. And if you sign a quarterback to that much money, you're not going to have it. Now, that's not a statement on Kirk's play, which overall this year has them as one of the better offenses in the league. And again, that gives you a better chance in my mind than having the number one defense to go deep in the playoffs. Um, But that is one of the reasons, one of the huge reasons, because you couldn't replace Sheldon Richards in the middle. You went from 47 to 6 in pressures from that position. And they brought, look, their their rationale was, hey, Shamar Steffen's out there at that point because he was in the first wave of free agency. I think they got him uh, to agree to a deal before anything had even happened that week before like the new league year had started. Mm-hmm. And they brought him in because they wanted to stop the run. That right. is what they brought him in for. They call him the big fundamental or yeah. whatever. They're not calling him that because he's generating pressures. They're right. calling him that because right. he's a somebody to plug a hole next yep. to Linville, and you're not going to run on teams like that. But if you have the cap space, that guy is a nice player who you bring in 30% of the time, sure. and then someone else comes in 
for the other 70% to rush. And I don't think that the Stephen Weatherly over the guard thing has really worked super well. I don't think he's thrilled with it either. No. You can tell with his body language and kind of just the way that he's talked about how he's played this year. He yep. doesn't seem happy with his role. And if you look at him just as a player, like his his wingspan, his athleticism, he's more fit for the edge. So the other 50% is Zim loyalty. And this is where when you got into the Anthony Barr thing, um, it's totally right. Look, Anthony Barr is a good football player and made some nice plays last night. But overall, this year has not gotten you value to the contract and probably never will. And when you talk about who you should pay and who you shouldn't pay, it isn't, is the guy good? Do we like him? It's, will he give us value Mm -hmm. when it comes to his contract? Right now, Anthony Barr is in the same place by pro football focus he's always been. Middle of the pack. He is 37th out of 50. So even a bottom half right now among all linebackers. Eric Hendricks, of course, is justifying his contract and is more of a modern coverage linebacker. He's number two in the NFL, so he's doing a great job there. You could have, but he's on a very reasonable deal with Barr. You could have foreseen him not being an elite linebacker because outside of 2015, he's never been one. Well, and the fact, too, that you pay him all this money. And, and granted, yes, he could have gone to the Jets and could have gotten more, but the Vikings still had to fork up quite a bit yep. and rework things for potentially that. As as we've talked about all season, like they were planning to use that money elsewhere. Yep. Like what else they could have done with it, I don't know. But that money was going to be used on another player in free agency, and you you spent that money on somebody to do the exact same job that he was doing for the I guess kind of his for most of his career where he's been above average. Mm-hmm. You're not paying him all this money to let him rush the passer, which we thought was going to happen. Right. Which I just think is just such a bizarre thing. So even if you go back through his career, you know, you look at last year, and, and this is when they made the decision. He had a good year last year in a contract year, and still by pro football focus was 23rd um, out of 57, which is good. And I think he's a good player. And I spent a lot of time in the offseason writing about how he's unique with his wingspan and things like that, and he can cover running backs out of the backfield. Largely, he is able to do that. But when you're talking about paying people, you should pay... Luke Keekley, you should pay Bobby Wagner. Like those guys are elite at their positions. But aside from that, that's like asset allocation. But you know why they did it is because of Mike Zimmer. It's that's his guy. Very clear to me that Mike Zimmer tells the front office who he wants mm-hmm. and they make it happen. It, maybe it's not Sheldon Richardson, but he would go and say, we need an interior three technique who's going to get after the passer. And they go and find one. And he says, I want to keep Xavier Rhodes. So they keep him. But Everson Griffin, and Everson granted, Griffin, that one right. has worked out. Yes, it has. And so has Kyle Rudolph, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying they shouldn't pay anyone. We knew that Rudolph needed to stay because you didn't know what you were going to get from Irv Smith. That move has paid off, Yeah. Um, especially since Adam Thielen has been out. Everson Griffin was a roll of the dice, but a favorable contract for the Vikings. They didn't have to pay as much cap space. An overall smart move. But with Xavier Rhodes, it was so foreseeable that this would be a problem that being so loyal to him, and it was foreseeable that Barr wouldn't be anything other than he's always been, that money could have gone to different spots. But Zimmer drafted those guys, or he didn't draft Rhodes, but he drafted Barr and has developed Xavier Rhodes, and he loves these guys. They're like his kids and everything else. And and that's where it's very hard to be super objective yeah. about it. He's not like us, where we're like, yeah, I don't know, as long as I get a paycheck, I don't care what they do. <laughs> right? So we can look at it very flatly, like, old corner, who's massive, not going to work out probably, who's been hurt. 
or average linebacker, you're overpaying. Zimmer doesn't look at it that way, and I think his loyalty has gotten in the way here. Yeah, and I mean, with Rhodes, too, like it's just... So I was walking up to the press box last night, and all of a sudden I was looking at Twitter. I have just had posted my instant reaction, and all of a sudden I see this tweet. It was, I, And I was like, wait, I wasn't in at Zim's press conference because I was running around the locker room trying to interview guys, and it was the... I was like, oh, wait. Someone went back and found my tweet from the owners' meetings where Zimmer had his line. It got, like unbelievably, I don't know, ratio is not the word, but it just got a million retweets last mm. night because people are like, oh, funny how things have not changed. Xavier needs to play better, needs to play up to the contract. We're paying him a ton of money. Yep. He's gotten away from his technique. You, you saw, Mike, you saw this coming in March. Yes. And that's and where even, he's culpable. Even before yep. that, like, I mean, let's not forget, neither Chad Graff or, nor myself said, hey, what does Xavier Rhodes need to do better? We were talking about the cornerback group as a whole. That's how that question started. Yep. And he just he, went there. He launched into it. It's like, Trey Wayne's this, Mike Hughes this, pause. Xavier needs to play better. And went into his entire tirade on it. And that's his prerogative. Like, he's clearly irritated. He sees the potential for this guy to get back to 2016-17 version of himself. And he shouldn't have. And now there's he, no way yeah. he could possibly do that. So he, sh- he shouldn't have been saying it's just a couple technique things. Because it's not. Because it's not. Because he's slow and he's lost his athletic edge. Because I asked him about that and I said, "Is it something where he's losing speed?" And he, he's like, "No, no, it's not that at all." Yes, mm, it is. Yeah, it is. Watch and, that and, David Moore touchdown last night. You tell me that's not speed. So how about this? The Vikings do a thing called Voyage on their website mm-hmm. where they have kind of a behind the scenes. It's a cool, yeah, through um, VEN cool thing. Yep. And uh, the first one, they are in minicamp, and you and I were standing there for this when this happened, but it really struck me when I watched one of the first episodes of the Voyage thing, because they show Xavier Rhodes struggling with an injury that day in minicamp. And that was when you and I knew this isn't going to get better. At at the point, we have now cleared the point after last night, where now it's so obvious that it has to change, that he has to be benched. It can't just be, well, let's try this or let's try that or technique or fundamentals or you've any other BS. You've been trying that stuff for, allegedly, you've been trying that stuff for weeks. And not only that, you add to the penalties, you add to the childish meltdown last night, which I, I think is just sort of the cherry on top I mean, to is, a horrendous year for him. It, look back at it last year when he kicks the flag in Los right, Angeles, right. and that leads to a touchdown. And, and throwing the guy out of bounds last night is just uncalled for, but he always did that oh. stuff before. It's just it's it's maddening because it keeps happening, and he knows better than that. Yep, but he's always done it. It's just we overlooked it when he was playing great. Yeah. And now it's a, a massive detriment to them trying to win games. I think if... They don't bench him. We're going to end up with the same thing happening in the playoffs. I would be much more apt to go with Mike Hughes and see if he can step up because he's 23 or 22 and he's a first round pick. And I think he's very talented, gives you much better odds to improve your pass defense. But that's where we're going to find out if this 50% Zimmer loyalty ends up being 100% of the reason that they do not go deep in the playoffs. Let's discuss that when we get back and Kirk Cousins' performance. I want to talk about it. I wrote the column last night that, hey, Kirk Cousins kind of did his job last night and was let down in a million different ways. But I'll give you, if you haven't read it at scorenorth.com, I'll give you the kicker to the article. 
So I'll do that when we come back. It's Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. You are listening to Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. This download brought to you by the 3M Open. Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer after yesterday's loss to the Seahawks 37-30 said this. I mean, everybody acts like this is the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. We lost one game tonight. We're 8-4. and four. We've got uh, four games left. Uh, three division games. So, you know, this isn't the end of the world. we still got a lot of good football left to play. Technically correct. Not the end of the world. I mean, there's still four games left of the season. Playoffs still in there. They still hold the, all the keys to get into the playoffs, but they're very close to losing out with the Rams just behind them. Get the golfer in your life. Tickets to the 2023 M Open and save money with the Frozen 4-Pack. Four weekend flex tickets with parking for just $150. Go to 3MOpen.com now and reserve your tickets today. The 3M Open. Golf that matters. That's been your score North Download. Now back to Purple Daily. I hope people familiar with the internet know the, like, sir, this is a Denny's joke. Because the same thing for Mike Zimmer when he said, this is not the end of the world. You guys are acting like this is the end of the world. Like, Mike, uh, we just asked you about how the defense played. Like, uh, this is a Denny's. This is, <laughs> I don't know why you're saying that someone said it was the end of the world. No one did. They're still in playoff position after last night. But if you're reacting to that game and saying, what does it mean? Is it a big deal that you lost? Um, for playoff position, it's a huge deal, actually. Because you're, I mean, you are in the sixth seed, but you're a game ahead of the Rams, who, you know, they could get hot at the right time. They had that big comeback win against Arizona last week after they got embarrassed by the Rams, and their stretch down the end of the season, I mean, they could put themselves in a position to be jostling with the Vikings, and if you know Minnesota somehow slips up one time, they have to go four and zero. You know, but that's they've got to go four and zero to keep that sixth seed because I'm not gonna. I'm just not like giving the faith that like something else isn't going to screw up their chances potentially. So I would be surprised if the Rams, considering their schedule, figured got, out a way to go ten and six or eleven and five. They've got the 49ers. Yeah, that's and they've be got very tough. Seattle again. Yes, so that's going to be really difficult. But they could do it. I mean, they're a seven and five team right now. They could continue to win. Um, but uh, I ran through the scenario if they end up with the same record, and at least at this moment, and this could change, at least at this moment, the Rams would get the spot instead of the Vikings mm-hmm. um, based on whatever tiebreakers, a million different ones. But thank God for ESPN's playoff I, machine I thing. I have it right now. It just makes Love life so much easier because then I could just go boop, 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 and I don't <laughs> even have to tell you why. I could just tell you what, which is what everyone wants to know. They don't want to know, well, you know, the point differential on the road in the wintertime is the reason you're not in the playoffs. Like, no one cares. They just want to know if you're in or you're not. Um, and again, change the system, please. Thank you. But here's what it means to lose last night, that your shot at getting a home playoff game is almost at zero now because of that. That is huge. Going on the road for multiple playoff games, going to Green Bay potentially, which is where you would go if the playoffs started today, and then to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Good luck. 
beating Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees on the road with this team that allowed Denver up 20 to nothing, that allowed last night a 34-17 lead in the fourth quarter to Seattle and 37 overall points. A team that has beaten zero winning teams is supposed to go on the road and beat Green Bay and New Orleans in the playoffs. That is unlikely. Well, and also think about it this way, because the, the Seahawks have a chance to clinch this weekend for their they just have a chance to clinch postseason. Right now, they are locked into, at least for this week, um, the second seed. Yes. And Kyle Rudolph mentioned last night, like, this is a place we could be coming back to. Um, if you're going to do that, because it is likely, you're going to have to go through the wild card round to get there. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about divisional weekend, mm-hmm. and that's tough. Yep. Like, to, to think of, of you know... You're, you have to go on the road. Like it, this is, in, and that's in the playoffs. I mean, I know that Green Bay is not a great, great team. Neither is Seattle. But at Lambeau, but Lambeau in, January, in January, it's not easy. I'm and, not. I'm not taking the Vikings right now. And even if you pull that out, then you probably have to go to New Orleans and play them in the Superdome. So two of the toughest road places to go against two quarterbacks that are going to cruise into the Hall of Fame. Like not exactly odds that I would want to give you. Um, but let's talk about Kirk Cousins' game last night. I expected to come in here and talk about a ton Kirk Cousins game and instead of spending the first 25 minutes on the defense that you would have thought it's Monday Night Football, the big thing about him, Kirk versus the critics, and, and they tried to really push that last night mm-hmm. on the ESPN broadcast as everyone noticed uh, on Twitter about just can Kirk do it? Can Kirk do it? And I am of a couple of different minds after this game and what it says about Kirk Cousins. A, he played pretty well. A pretty decent game for Kirk Cousins overall. Uh, he scored by Pro Football Focus a 66. It's like decent, which is okay. It's like average. All right, fine. Um, he was not the reason they lost the game. The one ball that was intercepted probably should be at least knocked down by Diggs, Diggs and yeah. really just great play by the other guy. Mm-hmm. But not a horrible throw. It's not like he just tossed it right to him. Uh, he didn't fumble. He didn't get sacked. He didn't look super nervous or anything like that. When he had Laquan Treadwell wide open, he didn't throw it in the stands. He threw it to him, and they got a 58-yard touchdown. He, at the end of the half, operated a really nice drive to put them up by seven points, even though it was wonky and weird, but he still made the throws he needed to make. I thought it was mismanaged with the clock with Zimmer, yes, well, but he got them there. And that's so, not the only one that was mismanaged. I mean, Kirk talked about not running the hurry up. And yes, and they should have. They should have. Some of the situational boneheadedness with this offense. I I don't know who where do you put the blame on that? I think even in training camp, we've seen Kirk Cousins struggle with this. Yeah, these two minute drills. Run a two minute drill. Yeah. Last year in Los Angeles at the end of the first half, they had a chance and they botched the clock. I think it's a quarterback and head coach co joint effort. But still, you get the field goal, and he made some throws. The throw to Diggs is a great one, and um, he brings them back and scores some points. But at the end of the game, everyone tweeted at the same time, all in unison, this is it, this is you, Kirk. It's 34-30, you got the ball, you're on the road, you're you're facing an uphill battle without Adam Thielen in the game, without Riley Reef in the game, without Delvin Cook in the game. Go do it, man. It's on your shoulders. Go win us a big football game. And it didn't happen. Yeah. And and that has been the story of Kirk Cousins in Minnesota too often. So even though I don't think Kirk Cousins was by any means, means the reason you lost, he wasn't the reason that you won. 
and that's what you need from him, and you haven't gotten since he's been a Viking. Well, I will say, on that pass to Irv Smith, I was kind of concerned when I looked at the, like, watching it back and just thinking about, like, play calling. Like, why are you giving him a single read? Like, why didn't you throw in some option passes for him? Why didn't you give him a little bit more? Because you know in that moment he's going to need as much support um, and as many options, truly, to make that happen on fourth and three. And he didn't. And I don't put that all on Kirk. Like I said, in the first half, the only gaffe that I saw was the the deciding not to go hurry up and, and beat yeah. the clock and beat Pete Carroll to throw in the flag. Like, Kirk's, perf- like, statistically speaking, I've got it right here, um, in the first half, he averaged 3.4 air yards on his passes. It's not great. But I know Judd pointed this out uh, on Twitter last night, that when he was 10 of 12 at one point, I think he was 13 of 17 in the first half, like the two the two incompletions, because he threw it out of bounds because he made the right call. Yeah, Because right. he, he was yep. good. He's done a much better job of that. Yes, and, and I think that that needs to be applauded because that's not Kirk from a year ago, not in Minnesota. Yep. Um But, you know, second half, like, he kind of, he struggled, and they, but, like, I don't put those struggles on him because Diggs no-showed. He had four catches for 25 yards mm-hmm. in the first half, and then he did nothing in the second half. You lose Dalvin Cook, that's obviously going to take away then your next best playmaker, um, and he still was able to get Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph involved, and Alexander Madison stepped up and, and filled a nice void yeah, Madison did a great for, job, I thought. for Dalvin Cook. Yep. So, you know, Kirk's completion percentage in the second half was 43. Like, that's the second worst of a half of his career. It's not great, but... I honestly, I, I have a really hard time faulting him for this. I don't, you know, he can't overcome a porous pass defense and a really bad run defense from last night. That's not on him to do that. Like, you know, the offense has bailed out this defense time and time and time again. And at some point, it's just going to be impossible to do. So especially when the other person playing the same position that you do on the other side is Russell Wilson. And that was uh, the kicker of my article, sorry to ruin it for myself, uh, at scorenorth.com. If you want to check it out, my reaction column was, you are not going to win a game with Kirk Cousins in which you have a ball bounce off your hands for an interception, in which you fumble, in which you have multiple injuries to good playing starters at key positions, and in which you give up 200 yards on the ground and 400 yards and 39 minutes of possession. All these things that everyone else did wrong, you're just not going to win a game with Kirk Cousins. But if you flip that around and look at Russell Wilson, he won the game. He made the big throws when he needed to make the big throws, even though he screwed up royally on a kind of a random bounce thing. But he messed that up royally. And his team my gosh, did so many things wrong. Mm-hmm. Laquan Treadwell wide open, that wide open, you could catch that ball and run that in for a touchdown. They completely botched that in the situation in which you absolutely cannot give up that play. And here's Seattle's defense. What's going on? I don't know. Why is there a receiver wide open running for a touchdown? Uh, they fumble when if they get a first down there, the game is basically over. And instead they fumble and give it right back to the Vikings. They did so many things wrong. And Russell Wilson found a way to overcome that and win the football game. And that's been the story of Kirk Cousins really for his career is, well, is it Kirk's fault? Not always, not really, not that much. And then here's Russell Wilson, who plays for, in my mind, a much worse team. And you think has so? a better. Yeah, I do. I don't think they're very good. 
Uh, I, I I mean, even with Josh Gordon on that team, he hasn't really played that much. So they've got one good receiver. I mean, just to factor it in, though, there are several guys who were not at 100% last night. I mean, Russell Wilson mentioned about Tyler Lockett having the flu. An- and that- yeah, another great point. Like, yep. they've got something up against them. And you won still. You're allowed to do that? I mean, that's <laughs> that's... That's how I would surmise the entire Kirk Cousins era in Minnesota. Yes, things went wrong. The other team won still. Is that okay? Are you allowed to do that? I mean, uh, you look at their uh, their defense, Seattle's defense. Like, they're not good. Mm-hmm. Their defense isn't good at all. They're a little better since they added Quadre Diggs, but they're not good. And it doesn't matter. They're 10-2. and two. They keep winning. I mean, it's the Vikings still have a good record, and they've beaten teams that they're supposed to beat. But it just... It's one of those things where I we can go game to game and do these big presentations like the it's always sunny scene with uh, where he's got all the things up on the board, you know, and he's pointing and you know, he's got the yarn connecting them and all that stuff. So we can be that guy who fills his office or his garage with news clippings and points to them and conspiracy theories. Um, but what we always end up with is the same place. Well, that was a good team and you came up short. You didn't win. Yeah, I get where you're coming from on that. But and he had the ball the last drive. Like, I know. You can win that game. Well, he didn't. You're supposed to. He didn't fumble the ball on that drive. <laughs> That's Hampton. the upgrade. Like, That's the upgrade. It's well, it is the same thing from Los Angeles that you're referencing the, the fumble. It's the same deal. It's like Kirk played great in that game against Los Angeles last year, but at the end of the game, good team versus good team, things went wrong for both teams. You got the ball, go tie the game, and you didn't. Well, it's. I just have a hard time. I will not put the blame on Cousins for this loss. I won't. Because, by and large, there were so many other issues. Like, he can't overcome everything. We know that he's not in that caliber of, like, I guess, that characterization of quarterbacks. Like a Russell Wilson. Like you mentioned, all the things that went wrong and Russell was still able to find a way to win. Kirk's never been that guy. And he played damn good last night. Back to back touchdown drives in the fourth quarter. He was responsible for that. He didn't miss the field. He didn't miss the PAT. Like he didn't fumble I know. the ball. This, this is this is the, it's, it's, the the both sides because nothing you're saying is no. even remotely wrong. I mean, of course it's right. Like make a PAT or don't fumble when you get hurt, Delvin or a, a million. I'm talking a, about the CJ Ham fumbles. One that just baffles my mind. Right. If you have any chance left, which is very tiny, but you could still get a hail mary or something, and you fumble the ball away. Yes, a million people did things wrong, and then we still got to unfortunately the same place we always end up getting to, which is yet you were still right there and you didn't come through. And uh, if you talk to people in D.C., I'm sure it'd be the same thing, where every game becomes this huge analysis of, wait, did someone else do something wrong? Or did this guy or what happened? No, what? No, we could have won the game at the end, but it wasn't really Kirk's fault, but it kind of was because he didn't take the team anywhere and make a play at the end, right? We just go around in circles and circles and circles. But where I end up is in the playoffs now, you have to go on the road, and you have to win a game like that, probably, and they aren't likely to do it. Probably not. Not the way they're playing right now, but I don't think that's on Kirk. Like I will take the opposite viewpoint on this after seeing the way he's played in recent weeks and all that he did in the fourth quarter, and no one else showed up for him. That's a problem. The defense alone was a disaster, and they deserve all of the credit for losing this game last night. I don't think, well, yeah, I don't think they deserve all the credit. I mean, the offense didn't exactly move the ball up and down the field at will. Um, but yeah, they, th- for last night's game, if we're doing pie, pie chart of blame, it's much more the defense than it is Kirk, which is sort of the bigger point of my article last night. I don't think that's really, 
a debate of whether it was Kirk's or the defense's fault. When you give up 37 points and they run you down, I mean, of course, it's I mean, But you scored 24 points on offense, like, on the road, in a place like that, and so much of that coming in the fourth quarter and back-to-back drives. I mean, look at what he did in the Broncos game. Every single time they had possession in the second half, they scored. And it kind of felt like that same type of, you know, desperation mode Kirk where he's not freaking out, where he doesn't have um, happy feet, where he's not patting the ball and he's, you know, making bad decisions. He looked good. This and is kind a of a time this is that. kind of a fun game, though. Like if you say something that defends Kirk, and then I get to be the person on Twitter who does the other thing. Mm-hmm. So say the say the Denver thing again. Just say the same thing you just said. Because okay. then I get to be that guy on Twitter. Go ahead. Where I was relating last night how it felt like the Denver game where he scored on every possession in the second half. Mm, he also got him down 20 nothing by getting sacked a bunch and fumbling. Was that all his fault, though? Yeah. Uh, the, sa- the getting sacked and fumbling? Like, yeah. Trey Wayne's not turning his head around was, on a wide receiver throw is it, Kirk's fault? It was it's bad Kirk. Well, you, should, you should be able to beat the Denver Broncos at home. Shouldn't get down 20 to nothing on them if you are moving the ball at all on offense. Well, I wrote this in an article for tomorrow, which I think is, I'm going to pull this up now because it, it that kind of reminds me of that. Like, you know, so long, for so long in Minnesota, it was the defense bailing out the offense. Yep. Um, and, and, and in that case of the Broncos game, everybody sucked in the first half. That is the bottom line here. For sure. But like, let's think of like other instances where one, one glaring issue gets kind of just like smoothed over, covered up by something else. In Detroit, in week seven, Marvin Jones annihilated that secondary. Mm -hmm. Four touchdowns, four receiving touchdowns. It's a career high. He's like the third player to have that in an NFL game ever. That was outdone by Kirk Cousins throwing for 337 yards, four touchdowns of his own, zero interceptions, and 141 passer rating. Detroit just got smoked by Mitch Trubisky. Their defense. I'm aware of that. I know that. But I mean, I'm telling you, I'm I'm being the well actually guy on Twitter. And, uh, but then I'm having trouble being like, well, wait, is well actually guy kind of right here? (laughs) I mean, so Danny had a really good stat that the Vikings wins. If you combine the win percentage of all the teams they've beaten, it's like the fourth lowest in the NFL. And, these, these Every perf- week it seems to be getting worse. Like we're watching the Eagles game on Sunday and I text you like, what the heck? Like getting beat by I, I the know. Dolphins? Yeah. That makes that win look so bad now. And the performances that got this defense to be where, or I'm sorry, this offense to where they are in terms of the rankings have come against a lot of teams where you're like, uh, woof. Just in terms of yards per play, Detroit is 28th. And uh, Atlanta is 26th. The Giants are 23rd. Even Seattle, a defense that stopped you at the end, they're 20, uh, they're 22nd or 23rd in yards per play. And, and so that there is a side to the Kirk Cousins debate that's probably fair. That's like, well, he did the same thing he's always done. The teams they've played with winning records, they've lost to all of them. That's the teams they've played with not winning records that have bad defenses. They smoked. And and that's when you're trying to look forward. It's always the question with Kirk. Is this going to be worth it? Is it going to be worth paying him the money? Is it going to be worth bringing him here? And when you can't get that final drive, you're like, well, Ryan Tannehill wouldn't get that final drive either, or Case Keenum wouldn't get that final drive either. I see where you're coming from on that. I get it. Like I, He had his opportunity, and that final drive was go win us this damn game. Like, we're down 34 to 30. Go one is this game. Go into this is hero mode, Kirk. This is your one opportunity, like, to do it. And 
he couldn't overcompensate for everything else that was lacking on offense, for the fumbles, for not having Dalvin Cook in there, for them taking away Stephon Diggs to where he was a no factor uh, at all in the second half. Like, he couldn't overcome any of that. Do I put that all on him? No. I just think that's totally unfair. And I, I think that there's reason to believe that if they're in this same situation a month from now, they're probably a first-round exit because they mm-hmm. got to the... They would have... If they're in that situation where they're having like a insane 16-point, whatever it was, comeback, come-from-behind-type uh, charge there in the second half, there's reason to believe that it wasn't Kirk that got them in that hole to begin with. Sure, yeah. And, and, and so, it wasn't like, just Kirk that got them of, in that hole. All of it comes down to sort of fundamental, all-time football conversations where you could take any team, any time in history and ask, well, how much was it the quarterback and how much was it the supporting cast? Mm-hmm. So Tom Brady, for example. I saw a stat that Tom Brady is like a 500 quarterback when he has a quarterback rating under 90. So when he didn't even play very well by quarterback rating, he still wins all the time. I'm sure some of that is on Brady finding a way at the end of games, and some of it is on Bill Belichick being a genius and having his defense be great, like the Super Bowl last year. Brady puts up 13 points, but they win 13-3 to because Bill Belichick figured out John McVay and absolutely owned him. And, and not everyone has that benefit. And then you could say that someone like John Elway early in his career was unbelievable, but his team was kind of trash, and he would get them to the playoffs, and they'd lose, and everyone would blame Elway, right? And that's probably not his fault. So it's always 100% of the time going to be a debate. It's just with Kirk, there are a remarkable number of losses in big situations and big games that you end up saying, well, you know, it wasn't really entirely him. Uh, it's just, it's just, is the theme. It's so the you theme. Get, you, it wasn't entirely him and KC either. It wasn't entirely him and Green Bay either. But it's never entirely so the quarterback. You're irked by the excuse machine. A little bit. I, I, more than anything, I, I think it's uh, if you're trying to cover all the bases, what you would say is. If you're going to have Kirk Cousins as your quarterback and win a Super Bowl, or go to the Super Bowl at least, which I think if they go to the Super Bowl, okay, you did your job. And then who knows what happens in that one game. If you're going to go to the Super Bowl, if you're going to have a, you have to have a team that is really great, like really great, that doesn't lose its top receiver, that doesn't have a cornerback fall off the face of the earth who used to be good, who doesn't get outcoached at times, who doesn't make clock mistakes at the end of a half sometimes. You almost have to have all the stars aligned perfectly. And I'd like you to point to the team in the NFL right now that has everything aligned perfectly all the time. It just doesn't. I mean, but that's that's not realistic. Like, we knew that when Kirk came here, the best way for him to achieve success is to make sure everything is status quo or better around him. Like, that's not realistic to expect, Like especially when you get into the playoffs, when teams like the Patriots, like you mentioned, they change their identity on a week-to-week basis in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to run into teams like that, and if you're kind of handicapped to what you are and only being good based on the strength of everything else around the quarterback, you're going to be in that position more times than not uh, where you're struggling. I just think that that's what they knew they were signing up for. Yeah, yep. And that's where we couldn't make the math work when they first did it. And when we were trying to say, okay, well, how could this actually work to achieve what they believe they can fully achieve? And after a loss like that last night and being in the position, it's not so much of last night in a bubble of what happened. It's where that puts you now after that loss. If you win that one, you've got a chance at home field. You've even got a chance at a first-round bye, potentially, if you win the rest of your games. And now it's very likely you have to go on the road, and it's just a kick in the teeth 
from that perspective. And even though it wasn't Kirk's fault, it's sort of it is remotely Kirk's fault that the defense is where it is in a weird way because of the contract. And that's what everything ends up coming back to. So it's not particularly fair, but it's also the conversation that always has to happen with everything involving Kirk. And by the way, another thing, too. This year, his like QBR, which is an interesting stat because it kind of compares game situation and all that, is basically exactly what it's been the last two or three years. And at least just, you know, when you're comparing, are you up by a bunch of points and putting up more or, you know, things like that, I find that to be kind of interesting. Even though his traditional stats are a lot better, and even his PFF stuff is largely a lot better, that that stat that really focuses on game situation is kind of the same. Anyway... Our buddy Alex Boone. I'm ready for his take on all I'm ready for that. He texted me and said that uh, he doesn't want me to bring any more energy. He just wants me to be uh, quiet and talk like it's a library for the next hour. Is he going to be upset? (laughs) Or is he going to come with so much energy? No, that is sarcasm. Yeah, he's he's hearing to go. So, all right, we'll come back with Alex Boone. We're going to talk about George Fant last night. The George Fant game, I almost might call it. We'll be back. Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, Alex Boone coming up next on Purple Daily. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Wilson in the gun from his Seattle 40. Shotgun snap, drops back three, winds up, long arching spiral down the near side, over the shoulder catch, more at the 25, down the 20, the 10, chased into the end zone, touchdown Seattle! Five seconds to play in the third quarter. Seahawks have gone up 26-17 over the Vikings. 60-yard touchdown pass. Ah, Kevin Harlan, the best. We try to work him into any game where he is calling the Vikings. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin, and now joining the fray is Alex Boone. And Alex, I've got a guess for something that really excited you last night while watching the game, and I need you to explain to us. Okay. Okay. George Fant. All right. Oh, my God. Yes, yes. George <laughs> Oh, the <Fink>. extra O-lineman. <laughs> the sixth they, they, offensive line. They just line. went jumbo the entire game. The whole game. They were like, you know what? We don't even care. Watch this. So, all right. Now, Russell Wilson said after the game that basically the Vikings were playing two high safeties, and they just decided they were going to run, and their second tight end was hurt. So they put in this guy who used to be a tight end and is just a massive human being, and he ran over the Vikings by your favorite pro football focus grades. He was graded their highest player, (laughs) probably because he was matched up against linebackers, and he's an offensive lineman. But... I thought it was brilliant, Alex, to just say, oh, you guys want to stop the deep ball? Here's a bunch of fat people in your face. It's the one high, two high. Dude, that was one of the best kills. Like You could just know because if it was a run, it was too high. If it was one high, it was a pass. And that It's a simple game plan. And when you look at this and a lot of these game plans, that's what this offense is because Pete Carroll's like, listen, guys, I don't want you to lose the game. Just put it on my defense. I'll figure us a way out to do it. Like He is Zimmer. Uh, just on the opposite sideline. like They think the same. We want to run the ball as much as we can. We want to be effective in the run game. We want to just beat up on teams, and then we'll take them deep. And they did it all night. Were you surprised when Mike Zimmer says, yeah, I was? Uh, they were running it a little bit more than I thought they would? I mean, that, yeah. to, that to me was just such a, a glaring thing to say, where he's like, yeah, I thought they'd pass more. And yes, play action, all that stuff, it's what you expect with Seattle. But 
it seems like they were caught off guard with this run game that amassed 218 yards, 143 before contact, uh, simply because they were trying to mitigate their own problems with their pass defense, and that's why they're playing too high in, in that shell that Russell Wilson was talking about. Um, to me, it kind of seemed like one of those things where, where you get caught with your pants down, essentially. Like, that's, yeah. that's how I looked at it. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that when you look at it, they were like, listen, we got Linval back, right? So we're good. We're going to be good in the middle. This zone play that they like to do, this RPO, it's going to be fine because we got Shamar back. We got Linval back. We're going to be fine with our stout linebackers. And then all of a sudden, they forgot Chris Carson likes contact. Like, this guy loves to hit you with his helmet. And so when he's just consistently coming downhill all game and then Rashad Penny's in, he's doing the same thing. They're, they're kind of playing off each other. That's tough to stop. So how much difference does it make, um, Alex? Or, or let me put it this way. How would you divvy it up? We had earlier on the show Courtney do a pie chart of blame for the defense. Oof. But when, when we're talking about schematically versus players who are getting older and just aren't what they used to be, namely Xavier Rhodes, but I would say there's a few other guys who aren't as good as they were a couple of years ago, including Harrison Smith, including Linval oh. Joseph. I, just it's natural. It's how this world works is that when you're a 26-year-old NFL player versus a 30-year-old NFL player, it's a huge difference, right? And Uh, and so they go from, in 2017, the number one defense in the NFL. Right now, they're 16th in yards, 11th in points. It's not horrible. It's not like the building is on fire, but it's probably not good enough to take them where they want to go. So where, I guess, where do you divvy that up in terms of how we should look at the defense? I mean, I think last night, took me for by surprise for sure. I mean, when you're looking at that game, I think that what Zim meant to say was I didn't think that they'd be as effective running the ball because I didn't either. Like I going in, I knew that Seattle was going to do exactly what they've done every single game every single year. We're going to keep handing the ball off as much as we can and then we're going to play action off of it and Russ, you can do whatever the hell you want to do out there, dude. Just go have fun. But when you start gaining yards and all of a sudden it's second and three and third and one and, you know, these are easy, manageable downs. All of a sudden they're like, hey, we're just going to keep running the ball, right? Like we're going to keep making this easy on ourselves. And that's what they did. And so I think Zim's like, hey, listen, we have to contain this because we thought for sure that they were going to go up top on us because that's the biggest glaring problem. But now we have another problem. We can't stop the run game. And that is the biggest problem that any defense can have because if I'm an offensive lineman going into this game, I'm like, hey, listen, we don't even really have to go 11, do we? We can just run the ball out of big personnel, and then we can play action out of it too because that's what we're really good at. And most teams in the league are just good at play action now. They love it. So it's like, oh my God, before there was a problem with X, and yeah, 99% of the problem goes to X. Like That's a problem. But the other 1% is now becoming this rush defense, which you better get a handle on quickly because these teams now coming down the stretch are just going to be like, hey, just throw everything we got at them. Yeah, and that's that brings up a good point because when Matt and I were doing our pie charts earlier, both of us had Xavier Rhodes slash cornerback slash that part of the pass defense as the, probably the biggest glaring problem. Oh, yeah. But when you look at the interior pass rush, like – why are we not addressing that more? I know Linville comes back off injury yesterday, right. and he was kind of on a pitch count of some sorts, but there's no push whatsoever, and that's leaving the de- the back end so vulnerable because your ends are rushing. They're doing their job. They're effective, but he's stepping up in the pocket like he, like he doesn't have an issue with it. 
I agree with that, but I think that it's hard to say that in a game like this because it is Russell Wilson. And when you go into a game like this, you're not like, hey, listen, you guys can attack from every which way. It's like, hey, we have to be very strategic. And if anything, we are not going for sacks. We are just trying to keep contained. We just don't want him running around the field because that's when the huge windows happen, right? That's when the defenders turn their backs and the offenders are like, hey, listen, dude, I'm going to go over here. And that's what he loves to do. So you're not so much like, hey, let's push the pocket. You're just like, hey, let's keep him in the pocket. So I think that you know, last night they did a good job. They sacked him twice. Listen, two times. That's a lot against Russ because he can move so well out there. And, you know, I think it was uh, the backup, uh, 95. Uh, Adenabo. Yeah. He got the sack. I mean, dude, that's great. I loved it. But then you're, you're watching the rest of the game, and he's still breaking contain at certain times. You know, he's getting Daniil off his feet and just slipping around him. And those are the plays that can be very dangerous to, with Russ. But I still think that they did a good job in, in how they tried to contain him. So, Alex, my pie chart included 50% of the blame for the defense being average on Mike Zimmer loyalty. I want to know if you agree with this. Um, Resigning Anthony Barr to a bigger contract than you're supposed to pay an average linebacker, and I'm sure Zimmer would explain to me 50 times over how he's not average, but all the results (laughs) say that he's average, and I'm sorry. That's how I have to go with it. Um, But also with Xavier Rhodes. I mean, we can point at Rhodes and say, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault, but when you have a first round corner behind him you have another corner behind him who showed a ton of uh, potential last year when he got into games as a clueless rookie undrafted guy and stepped in and did well and has a whole other year a whole other training camp and all those things in this defense and he's played 15 snaps talking about Holton Hill this entire year and you have uh, Rhodes who has the third worst quarterback rating against in the entire NFL Zimmer's continued loyalty to him. And and this might even go for Shamar Stefan, which I know that players love Shamar Stefan, but you, you bring him back and you play him way too much, in my mind. That he's good in a certain situation, not trying to get after the passer, which you know he's kind of asked to do sometimes, uh, and he has six pressures the whole year. So, like, th- loyalty to guys that he clearly loves, and like you said, everybody loves someone like Shamar Stefan, uh, but a lot of these situations now aren't really working. I agree with you, and I think that loyalty can rock the boat a lot, and it's rocking this boat because when you're looking at X and what he, what's going on, and, and not only that, but the miscommunication. I know before you said Harrison Smith, but to me, I can't honestly think that Harry messed that up because he's played so well this season. And how many neck rolls have we given him? Like, dude, that guy shows up in the most clutch situations, and we have always applauded him. So, like, you're telling me that this one time – the, I, I still don't believe that. So I'm placing all the blame on X. And yes, it's a lot of loyalty to him. And I think it's a lot of Zim afraid of, hey, listen, we've paid him a lot of money. We're going to get criticism from that. But also, what if the next guy doesn't do well either? Then all of a sudden, there's going to be even more criticism. You know, I think it's there's already blame being thrown on X. And it's kind of like, hey, listen, if, if all of it's going there... Why not just keep it going there? Like, do we really want to keep opening up wounds and going deeper to see what we have? Because maybe the next layer isn't as good as you think it is. I know in certain situations and times this year, yeah, it's looked really good. But when you're called on for the whole game to, you know, it's just, that's a lot. Alex, do you think that those other players on the sideline, after Rhodes misunderstands what's supposed to happen there, he clearly thought there was a safety over the top. I'm not sure who he thought that was because Harrison Smith was on his side. Right on the line. He was on his side. Right next to you, dude. He's right right there. I mean, 
You right next to you. I, I know the helmets are hard to see out of. It's but tough. It's, I know. It's right there. But I also think, too, that ball was up in the air for so long that old Xavier Rhodes catches up anyway uh, because he yeah. used to run a 4-3 or 4-4, and now he doesn't run a 4-4. Um, but if you're on the sideline and Rhodes comes over, he's slamming his helmet, he's going off and whatever else, are you looking at him and saying, Zim, what are we, what are we doing here? I mean, what, why are we still playing this player? Even if you love the guy, even if he's your yeah. best buddy in the entire world, we know that Rhodes is loved in that locker room. But even if he's your that guy, these are all really smart football players who right. know the deal and they know how bad it's been. They've got to be looking at him saying, come on, Mike, at some point we've got to just put in Mike Hughes here. Right, and I agree with you. And listen, there's, there's always a time where it's like, hey, listen, dude, this is not personal. This has nothing to do with our friendship. And I think that that line gets blurred a lot for reasons that guys are very emotional. And I think that at times you look at the coach and you're like, hey, we're both thinking the same thing. Why are you not pulling the trigger on this? <laughs> what, what are we waiting for? You know? And he's like, listen, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want the room to go crazy. I don't want everybody to freak out and go nuts. I don't want him to go nuts. And you're like, dude, listen, we all just want to win. A win will cure everything and we'll fix all this later. you know. But the coaches don't see it like that at the time. And I think players don't either. And they're so afraid to speak up because they're like, I don't want to sound like I'm going against somebody. But you're not. I get it. We all want to win. We all have bad games. But when you start having a couple bad games in a row, dude, I'm sorry. This is a business that you need to win. And when you're not winning, people are like, dude, what is going on? Especially because Zimmer is the one in control, and this is his defense. And now all of a sudden, this is kind of showing up out of nowhere. Like we said before, the pass defense has been sketchy this year. And now all of a sudden, the run defense is a problem? Like, you can't have both of them be a problem because then you're not a top 10 defense anymore. No, and, and that's the problem here. Like, they have fallen so far from where they once were, where it's a, it's a shadow of the 2017 unit that was vaunted and everybody was afraid to go up against that right. team. They used to bully but, people. Yeah, and now, like... They, they can't really do that anymore. And it's because this is a new league, too. And people are like, listen, we're just not going to lay down anymore. Like, you want to come here and fight, we're ready to fight because there's so much on the line. And these teams, when you're playing a team like this in their stadium and you're both in the wild card... And there was a lot of games separating you from the rest of the pack, but now there's not. Well, yeah, you feel the pressure, right? Right. Now all of a sudden the Rams are one game away, and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> we were just two games, and they looked, everybody else looked decimated. Now all of a sudden the Bears are crawling back. All of a sudden, you know, these teams are coming back, and you're like, wait, 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 wait. This is not how it's supposed to go. The rest of the hunt and the wild card, they were supposed to just separate. Huge separation. Now they're coming back together, and Seattle's jumping the Niners, and the Niners are dropping. It's like, what just happened? In one day. It's insane. So Zim talked a bit, like a lot of game, big game, and so did Rick Spielman, about fixing this past defense. They had 15 days to do it. And last year, after that Rams game in week four, where they allowed 158.3 passer rating to Jared Goff, so perfect passer rating, Zim goes down to the ranch. Everything had kind of bottomed out there with this past defense. And by and large, he fixed it. Like he, he turned that unit around going into week five when they beat the Eagles on the road. So... I'm not saying that you had, just because you had 15 days, that this should have been remedied easily. But let's say you take take Xavier Rhodes out of the lineup. Let's say that enough is finally enough. Like, let a dead dog lie at that point. Because we've been calling for this, Alex, since week seven, week six, before that when they played the Giants in week five. Like... This isn't new. Yeah. It's like the people who do the same thing expecting a different result Insane. every time. And so if you do, if this is finally the last straw and the David Moore 60-yard touchdown was Xavier Rhodes' last stand, 
Can, is the pass defense, can you fix it? Are you still going to run into the same issues if Mike Hughes or Holton Hill ends up taking that spot? No, I think you can fix it, and I think it does come with those two guys being injected more into this defense. And, and it's not – listen, you can't – I don't think it's – it's fair to say that you know X has been a little bit of a liability on this defense. I think that one of the biggest things for me is the reaction on the sideline, like the way that that mm-hmm. all went down. Mm-hmm. Like we saw the same thing happen on the other side, right? Busted coverage. Laquan Treadwell goes for sixty yards. Like it was insane. It happened to both defenses, and both teams are run by defensive coordinators. The interesting thing to me was the reaction on both sidelines. One was a complete fight of throwing helmets and yelling and screaming at coaches and coaches screaming back. The other one was Pete Carroll giving him a hug and kissing him in the ear and being like, yo, dude, it's all good. We still love you. And everybody laughing about it. Like, there has to be a change of something because it's just – I think everybody's at their boiling point. And this is something that some people just don't get. But sometimes you just wear out your welcome. And people eventually kind of start to look past the message. And it's like, listen, we've been together for way too long. And we all just need to separate. And to me, last night, what the offense did without Dalvin Cook was awesome. Mm -hmm. To come back in that stadium with that crowd, with the way that place was rocking, and for Kirk Cousins to be like, dude, I know that nobody out here can clearly catch a ball right now because you're all dropping some of the (laughs) easiest balls, but I'm still going to put this on my shoulders right now and watch me do this. If C.J. Ham does not fumble that ball, I am questioning right now, and I know because I told somebody this morning I don't think they could have done it, but I thought about it all day. 20 seconds. They might have done it. You might have seen it twice. The M- Minneapolis Miracle. Dude, It would. I was sitting there like, oh, At my God. At least you'd have a shot. Dude, I was like, this is going to be intense. CJ, you lost my neck roll. You but, lost but, it. You it's know, gone. that's where, though, Alex, the point that you're making is a good one about people starting to look around at each other and have a lot of frustration. We've seen this every time they lose where they don't – usually they sort of use us to be defiant. Like, you oh, guys, yeah. what's your problem? Yeah. But a lot of times with this team, it hasn't been. It's more of been, well, I'm trying to talk to you and not blame someone else blatantly, but you kind of know I am. But I'm not really. Uh, And it reminds me a lot of the 2016 offense where the defense was playing great and everybody knew that the offense couldn't quite get enough to be a Super Bowl caliber team. And there were certain people who became the whipping boys and specifically TJ Clemmings. Sorry, TJ, but he was one of the worst offensive linemen I've ever seen. And it was the same deal, though, where you go to the PFF and where's TJ Clemmings all the way at the bottom, just like Xavier Rhodes. Now, he had no history of being good, but it's the same sort of feeling where one guy is having a massive impact and everybody's looking around and no one really wants to say it, but there's a lot of frustration. And then you add the fact that there's the tension of expectations, which has existed around this team since... You felt it, and I know I did, Courtney, in OTAs and training camp and the offseason and at the combine at the owners' meetings. There's been this ball of tension of, if you guys mess this up, you know this is going to be bad. And every time something goes wrong, that's what I see. And in Green Bay, they had a chance to win it and didn't. In Kansas City, they had a chance to win it and didn't. Last night, they had a chance to win it and didn't. I feel like the difference between winning and not winning those games is how these guys at times have reacted to these things. Agreed. 100%. Well, I th- and, and how Mike Zimmer's reacted to it, too. Like, I'm looking yeah. at the transcript from last night. <sighs> You're really going to blame the, the fake punt completely on special teams? I mean, come on. It's a fake punt. Those don't happen every single game. And, yeah, I guess the way that it was covered really, really irked him. But beyond that, 
Because asked like what happened in the second half to really destroy the pass defense. That one didn't help, and he's talking about the 60-yard touchdown, which he would not explain what happened other than, quote, busted coverage. So that one didn't help, and we had a couple turnovers in the second half as well, so that didn't help either. The scapegoating is kind of wearing thin, like with Mike Zimmer, because this happens where it's always somebody else's fault. I know. Him answering the question about the running game with, well, that, you know, 29-yard run of fake punt counts for that. Like, dude, you got got track, though, bro. You got (laughs) run over. You got run the bleep over that whole game. Don't pretend it was a 29-yard fake punt. You got run over. Listen, his... People can say what they want, but I, I truly believe his seat is getting really, really hot. And it's getting hot because the life expectancy on this defense is sh- quickly jumping out the window. And so people are like, hey, man, if we're going to make a run with the defense that we have, we got to do it right now because guys are getting older. And after this year, we're going to start losing dudes quickly because we need to free up some money to get some new blood in here. But more importantly, I'm thinking like, man, the way that Stefanski's been taking this offense and People can say whatever they want. Blame Kirk for the 0-8. I am so sick of hearing that. That is the biggest it's a ridiculous it's stat. So garbage stupid. thing I've ever heard in my life. It's it's just bad stat work, dude, it, which is why lazy. it offends me. No, it's lazy. It that's is exactly lazy. 100%. And that's why yep. it annoys me. Because, it's like, dude, if you actually paid any attention to that game, you would have seen that he did that without Dalvin Cook in the second half. That is tough. And I know that Alexander Madison's a good player. I saw him last night. I've seen him all year. He's a really good player. He's not Dalvin Cook. He's not going to strike fear into people just because he's in the backfield looking at you some kind of way. You know what I'm saying? Like That's the one thing that I loved about Kirk Cousins last night. And he never really seemed faced. And it was when Ziggy Ansah destroyed him that he got up and he kind of was like smiling. I was like, dude, this guy's kind of he's kind of growing on me. I really like this guy. But then you look at Stefanski and he's not phased either. And you're like, wait a minute, man. I think the defense is kind of freaking out because maybe they see the offense is better. But Zim sees maybe that this is his chance. Like, yo, if I don't do it now, Stefanski's going to be the next head coach here. I think you're right. I think that's a completely valid way to look at this because... The, which is, which is going to be awesome, though, right? Well, I mean, you know, for Kirk Offensive Cousins, bias, just saying. Yeah. Oh, dude, well, I'm I mean, totally biased <laughs> on the offensive side. I love it. Um, well, I'm sorry. Can I, can I just throw yeah, out sure, there with... Um, our, let me just, just hit just one button real quick. Like, are we over-freaking out? button there's the boop i gotta hit it are we over courtney are we over freaking out yes and no like what are you freaking out about well they're still the sixth seed in the playoffs they are still in the playoffs we're getting fired so that's when i gotta do the boop button all right well What's the boop button? The boop is okay. It's like, it's like overreaction, like mo- overreaction, overreaction yeah, Tuesday. Overreaction Tuesday. Not an overreaction, though. It's the truth. You're looking at an offense that has taken over on a defensive team, and yes. you're like, wait a minute. No, this isn't. Because, and it's funny to me because, you know, I had Harbaugh for a long time. So it was like things were run different. When you have an offensive-minded head coach, things are run really differently. Like, they're kind of like, hey, listen, defense, you guys do, do whatever the hell you want to do. Don't bother us. We're busy. Other than that, we'll see you Sunday. And it was fun. But when you have a defensive-minded coach, it's always like, hey, you guys are going to get the run game going, right? And you're like, yeah, 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 we're going. They're like, yo, dude, the run game, right? You're like, yeah, got it, run game, right? Yeah, dude, got the run game, we're going. They, they don't want the problem. run game. But when all of a sudden Stefanski starts showing you things, and he's like, and the Booger said it last night, they don't have Dalvin Cook, the star running back, the star of the team. Dude, Kirk was like, all right, cool, watch this. And how many drops were there that you were like, bro, seriously? Yep, Come too on. many. And, dude, that interception, are we really going to talk? I am a huge Huge John Perry fan because his dad was the commissioner of the Big Ten. I knew John my whole career. We used to joke and laugh and stuff about stupid stuff. 
But when he was trying to defend that not being DPI, yeah. I was like, dude, are you, are we, what, John? I don't feel like we talked about that enough on the You're Diggs play. You're getting crazy. But yeah. can, can we ask, though, why Zimmer didn't try to challenge it? It was such a you massive can't. play. You can't. Because no, you he, can't. he. But it's been working. You like, can't. This, no, this week no, it worked, like, though. No. This week it worked. I he saw still it gets his emails times. telling him, don't challenge it. I think the NFL started to figure this out. I saw it work a couple of times. I think because that's such a huge swing in win probability, you should probably challenge it. But go back. Court. You want me to go back to the overreaction go to thing? Our, go back to are we over-freaking out on a Tuesday after a game? I'm going to say here's the no part of not freaking out because you still control your destiny right now. You have a quarter of the season left. Yes, the Rams are one game behind you, but if you take care of business here, go 4-0 and over this stretch, you're fine because realistically, beyond last night, they have no chance now at home field advantage. So let's just put that behind them and think, okay, they're still in the playoffs. They're still one of the best teams in the NFC. They can beat Dallas. They could probably beat Seattle again if 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 circumstances were different. If you have Adam Thielen, if you have Dalvin Cook, because the offense was rolling there in the second half uh, or in the fourth quarter to, to to create that comeback. So that's fine. So I get it from that standpoint. Saying with Mike Zimmer saying it's just one game, but. It's just one game. Like, nobody's freaking out. Well, jobs are on the line here. That's different. Like, it is a totally different thing when you're looking at this from a perspective of one game tips things in an entirely different direction because the problems that showed up last night, if you don't fix it, you are going to be out sitting at home the second week of January during divisional the divisional round of the playoffs. And that is where this team is trending, and we have seen this. We have foreshadowed this for months, and that's why I don't think that part is an overreaction. Okay, let's talk about the rest of the season here. Let's mm. talk about the final stretch. We'll mm. do that when we come back. Do you feel differently about... Their chances to win all the games, two, three, how the, how's this going to go? Let's talk about it when we return. Matthew Collar, former Viking Alex Boone, ESPN's Courtney Cronin on Purple Daily. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll start off here. First and 10, Viking 42. Cousins got the shotgun snap, pump fakes, and throws a pass down the sideline. Wide open the receiver from the 20 to the 10, down the sideline, into the end zone, touchdown, Laquan Treadwell. Wide open for Minnesota. Seventh catch of the season. Blown coverage. 58-yard touchdown pass for the Vikings. I don't know what in the world happened there. But a long touchdown pass and the Vikings are not dead. I think I should Kevin. just leave it. I think I should just leave it there, Kevin right? Is the I don't know what happened. He's the best. I love how he said the receiver. The receiver. Like, Touchdown to the receiver. <laughs> My eyes. I think he was questioning whether it was Treadwell or I'm not. I'm sure he had, he to had look no clue again. who the you know, Treadwell he was. Looking, he was not yeah. on his yeah. flip card. Nope. <laughs> He's like, out there. He caught that. He was that open. I really wanted it to be Alexander Hollins. Like I couldn't tell at first who it was. It was like this would be so great if Hollins never plays before. He's like the last guy on the roster in OTAs, and then he. Catches that touchdown, but good for Laquan Treadwell. He gets that's a fun. moment in the sun there. Second Last career time. touchdown, so, four years. So, do you need to say something else? No, that's it's it. Okay. We'll just We're leave it go. there. That's, okay. that's a good. Uh, Courtney, I want to start with you. Courtney Cronin from ESPN, Alex Boone, former Viking here, Purple Daily. If you missed any of the show so far, make sure you check it out on the Purple Daily feed and leave a comment there. Um, that always helps other people find it. If you leave comments, if you leave ratings and things like that, then uh, it pops up in other people's feeds and they can. Find the podcast. So do that. Um, okay. So down the stretch here, you have Detroit. You have. Oh, you're not making me pick the schedule, the, are you? Mm, In a way. 
Yeah, I think yes, you're I am. Turn on some uh, NFL oh, music. Boy. You did this to yourself. You did it to yourself. Yeah, yep. You, you, you set me up for it yesterday yeah. anyway, so I knew it was coming. All I was going to ask was just how uh, how tough the schedule down the stretch is, but now you have to pick the games. All right. All right, so here's what we have. Next week, this week, uh, they play the Detroit Lions at U.S. Bank Stadium. Can Kyle Sloter be the quarterback, please? <laughs> That's all I really want. I just want to show up to see if that happens. They're no. gonna they're gonna be Detroit. They play lights out at home. It's fine. Yeah. They're gonna be Detroit. The, the defense is gonna they're be nine like, and blow. Get it? You know, like, like, that's his name, and it sounds like a thing. Sounds that like happens. what happens when you hit somebody. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, you have uh, at Los Angeles a game I can't wait to go to because it's gonna be warm there. I. The Chargers piss me off. Sorry well, if I can't say that. I don't know if that's like an FCC no, you, thing. Alex says that all the time. Okay. All the time. Every they make me sentence. so angry. And you know what? Sorry, I'm going to say it. Anthony Lynn, you're soft. Because some of the decisions wow. you make on fourth down really irritate wow. me. You are 4-7. and seven. They could easily be 7-4. Like, you go for it on fourth and 11, and then you're going to kick a field goal. And piss poor clock management. Awful, awful, awful. So I will give them that. I'm going to say that that's going to be a win. Because the Chargers find a way to lose in the most baffling of fashion, and they will be ten and four at that game. All right, Green Bay at home. I'm just going to narrate this myself. Um, I was going to set that up. But, fine, uh, you don't okay. have to. Go ahead. Um, yeah. Another ESPN, a roll. Another ESPN game. Everyone looking forward to hearing the broadcast crew again in a couple weeks. <sighs> Yikes! They have to. I really do think they have to go four and zero here, but. I'm going to go ahead and say that the Green Bay game is going to be a loss. Really? Yeah. Okay, is this changed from before? Did you think this was going to be a win before? No, because technically it's just 10 and 6. Like I know I'm going to make them 10 and 6. Like so So you're saying they beat Chicago. They then. beat Chicago. And so yeah, that's 10 and 5 and then a win in Chicago against Chicago's 10 and 6. But watch. I may change my opinion if the Bears end up beating the Cowboys on Thursday night football and the whole thing gets thrown into uh yeah. you know, tailspin. meat grinder. Yeah, tailspin, yep. that's the word. Yeah. Um I like meat grinder. I think that worked too. Uh, but yeah, no. I mean, it's. I don't see them going four and zero in this stretch. Do I think that 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 doesn't kill their playoff chances? I never really thought this team was going to be more than a six seed, though. So oh. you know. all right, uh, reaction, Alex. Um, there's so many question marks I have right now, and one of them is Dalvin Cook going forward. Yeah. I mean, this shoulder problem. I heard somebody today, I could not believe they said this. They were telling me that, like, Dalvin was telling them that, don't worry, I know how to fall when I land. And that's Yeah, that's what he said dude, to us last night after the game. You, that you, you realize he's probably laughing at all of you right now. I know how to fall down. <laughs> what? You're playing football. You don't get to control how you fall down. They do. You're, you mean to tell me that it's some crazy world you can Analysis. control who, who hits your shoulder or not? Like, I'm just like, wait, what? Well, why didn't they, after the first half, he had that injury where he fumbled and Brian O'Neill... Um, no, they lost that one. Kirk fumbled and Brian O'Neill got it. But in, or that was, never mind. That was the illegal forward pass. It was the challenge that Zimmer won. Yeah. Which yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. when you think about Zimmer winning two challenges in a game, like what universe do we live in? Anyways, I, I digress. His, um, his defense is no good, but all of a sudden he's great at challenges. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, with Cook, like that, that worried me because he said yeah. that first time it was hit in the same spot that he got hit on his, I think his right shoulder against the Broncos. So, the fact that he was put back out there and then he gets hit again, like that's clearly something that's been a li- that's going to linger. And he mm-hmm. told us yesterday, like he should be good to go for Sunday. 
I don't know if you chance it. Like, Alexander Madison, Alex, as you mentioned, like, he looked really good. He's averaging about five yards of carrying Dalvin's absence. He is not Dalvin Cook, but let's say you get Adam Thielen back. There's another weapon, and you can have Madison as your lead back out of the, out of, um, you know, out of the backfield, you can use CJ Ham. You could use Mike Boone sparingly. Uh, Amir Abdullah. I don't know if you trust him with some of the fumbling issues that he has had too. But they should be okay if they decide to rest Alvin. But I have that same sort of question mark because you know is now the time where we're going to start to see the Dalvin run deteriorate a little bit mm. because he was so impressive the first thirteen, first twelve weeks of the season. And then he gets hurt yesterday, and while he told us that he could probably go back in and that it was more precautionary, I think, I don't know. I saw the way he landed there and how much pain he looked like he was in on the field, and that's what worries me. I'm calling 100% BS. I think his shoulder is a serious issue right now. I think that they lost that game, and they knew how big that game was, and had they been able to be like, hey, Dalvin, you're good to go. Go mm-hmm. ahead and go in. He, that dude didn't move from sitting down. He sat down the rest of the game. Like, and no, he was I'm, not I'm, moving the shoulder I'm either. done. That like, thing was immobile. And then today they're talking about it's a clavicle. Hey, dude, I'd say, but you're a running back. There's a lot of people that know that now, and they're going to be trying to be like, hey, listen. We're here to win, too. You're here to win. If we hit you in the clavicle, we're really sorry, but this is how Oops, football bumped goes. bumped your clavicle. Right. Like, I don't get how people With are my just, entire body weight. <laughs> people are, like, brushing over this. I'm like, oh, man, this seems to be an issue. Because I remember when Derek Wolf fell on him in yeah. the Broncos game. And you could see him get up like, nah, dude, that didn't feel right. And then this last game, when he didn't come back the entire second, it was like, wait, this is for real. This is an issue we need to talk about. Because going forward, if you don't have him, well, teams are then going to start to prey on you. And they're going to be like, hey, listen, they have one running back. And, yeah, two great receivers and a tight end that's showing up really big right now. But that's a lot less than some teams have. And so that's easy to defend to some teams. So how often, Alex, are players battling pretty serious injuries and we don't know much about it? All the time. Uh, I mean, it's football. You are constantly like, God, I am sore every which where. Please don't touch me and don't talk to me. It's insane. So, so you're saying that sometimes it's not just that we are media. It's that the player can barely move yeah. after a game and they're not happy to see us. Absolutely. I mean, most guys are like, dude, just shower up and get out as fast as you can because then you're going to have to sit there and then you get stuck in a position because you're like so beat up that you kind of like – I don't know. It's weird. You just get stuck, and you're like, dude, I don't want to move, and I can't move, and now somebody needs to help me up, and this is embarrassing. So it's And we're in a visitor's locker room. And I know. Tight space, we got to go, like, guys. That's the worst. How about Chicago? Dude, dude don't even start well, about Chicago. I, I, thought about, I thought about that last night because I was going to get Anthony Harris or something, and Harrison Smith's locker is next to him. I'm looking at his arm. It's all cut up and just like open yeah. wound, bleeding. Yeah. And you think about that. With just like Dalvin Cook, because I, I was reading his body language when he came and talked to us. He had like the Nelly one eye patch underneath his right eye. Uh, yes. he, had a, he got cut <laughs> up in his yeah. face. Uh, I don't know what that came from. But when's the last time Nelly did any music? Long time. Well, ago, he, right? he was in some trouble recently. I yeah, think, that's right. In a okay, sorry. Okay, anyways, Uh-oh. apologize. For um, but no, he seemed like he was in good spirits yesterday, and I. I was kind of trying to see, is there anything we can read between the lines here about that? Because if that's a super serious injury, Alex, like, would they have let us talk to him? Like, I'm, maybe I'm going no. conspiracy theory on this. No, um, I'm with you. And so that's, you know, I wonder about that because 
he has had injuries before, and he's had injuries to his shoulder. He had labrum surgery at Florida State. I know that that's not your clavicle, and that's not your, you know, the shoulder, AC joint exactly, but it's close. Right. And I and think that you do worry about stuff like that because, you know, do you want him to be fresh for the playoffs? Do you sit him now? But does that make you risk losing games? Like, I think it's the same thing as the Thielen hamstring conundrum. 100%. I think that, number one, we don't even really know if it is his clavicle. Like, we just know it's the somewhat shoulder injury just because the way he was holding his arm like listen mm-hmm. dude my shoulder hurts really bad and so to me if if you're Stefanski you're like hey listen I know it's Detroit and they're gonna play us tough but we gotta rest him like we, we we're gonna need this guy down the stretch and you might not need him this week you might not even even need him the Chargers week like you might be able to rest him for two weeks and it's 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 for the only simple fact that he is your bell cow, and it's a shoulder injury, and that's a big injury to a running back. You fall on your shoulders constantly. Like, I get it, dude. You can control how you fall, but you can't control how some of these safeties are coming in. I mean, Diggs last night uh, from the Seattle, coming in out of nowhere and just oh, laying yeah. a lick on people. Like, sometimes you he can't crushed con- Irv Smith. Yep. Dude, you can't control how a guy's going to hit you, and if you take another shot the wrong way, who knows what's going to happen? And you start to look like, hey, dude, down the line. Like we're getting older and the injuries are starting to kind of roll up and you're a running back and now we're getting nervous. So I think that if you can rest him, you do it now for these next two weeks. I agree with the Lions game resting him. Los Angeles kind of scares me because the Vikings are a finds weird ways to lose team and the Chargers yeah. are a find weird ways to lose and someone has to find a weird way to lose. Someone finally has to lose. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, give, give me an opinion, Courtney, you, for, you first and then Alex. Um, they play three games out of the four against teams that we would consider not super good at football. Which one scares you the most? Detroit, Los Angeles, and Chicago, having seen what we saw last night. Chicago? Yep. It, that will that game will always terrify me. I'm putting myself in Kirk's mind right now. And by <laughs> the way, I have I actually I meant to say I didn't have them ten and six. The because my math is off because I'm on forty five minutes of sleep. It's eleven and five is what I came up with. Yes, yeah, um, you did. Sorry. I didn't want to say anything because you might get mad. Why are you saying because I'm cranky and no, tired? No, yeah, because you right, didn't get a lot of sleep. And plane ride and then trying to do a show right after that, it's not yeah, easy. Yeah, that's fine. Um, no, I mean, the reason Chicago scares me is what, what if all of a sudden, like Alex mentioned, like they get hot right now. If they can beat Dallas, if they can, I think they have the Chiefs still, like that's going to be a loss for them. Like they've got a hard schedule, but they do, yeah. what if they're... What if it's relevant to them yeah, in some way? like somehow, right. some way, shot, more, than yeah. just, more than just like playing spoiler, you know, this... The Bears had nothing to play for last year. They were already in the playoffs, and they continue to play their starters, which was just baffling to me uh, with the approach that Matt Nagy took here in, in Minneapolis in Week 17. But regardless, like they had nothing to play for, and they still annihilated this team that no-showed. And so if everything boils down to Week 17, that really irks me when I'm looking at this Vikings team because of what we saw last year, but also... Can this team handle the back against the wall? We have to essentially now back our own way into the mm-hmm. playoffs because we right. didn't take care of business uh, in Kansas City because we didn't take care of business in Seattle against good teams. Like that, that worries me. One hundred percent, I agree with that. And I think that when you're looking at it, you're like, dude, there's a Monday night game on this schedule. Which, yep. yep. I'm not saying that Kirk, it's all Kirk. <laughs> I'm just saying for whatever reason, it scares everybody. Like we're like, dude, Aaron Rodgers in a primetime game and Kirk Cousins in the same game. Oh god, like, it'll, someone, wreck, it'll literally wreck Christmas. Somebody has to go up. Somebody has to go down, as always. But you're right. Week seventeen two scares me because what if for the off chance, 
Khalil Mack gets hot, and all of a sudden he starts showing up and wrecking games because the team starts playing better. I mean, I feel like uh, maybe three weeks ago we looked back and we were like, dude, the Rams are so far behind with everybody else that this isn't even a contest anymore. Like, the NFC has been set. Within three weeks, all of a sudden, people at the top have come all the way to the bottom, and people at the bottom are starting to rise up, and you're like, no, that's not how it's supposed to go, but teams are getting hot late, and this is the momentum swing that I've told you guys about, that sometimes you just catch a drift, and your team rides it, and they just start laughing about stupid things, and they don't care anymore, and they're just like, hey, man, we're out here to have fun and play for each other, and look at Seattle. That's what they look like when they're playing. They're all just laughing all the time. You're like, God, it pisses me off how much they laugh, because it's football. You're supposed to be serious, and these guys are laughing. I know. It drives me nuts, too. But uh, uh, it's true. I wanted to throw something out there about Week 17. Uh, there is a tweet that I discovered from a reporter at 670 The Score. So that's in their Chicago. big radio station in Chicago. Here's, here's what it says, and this is why Week 17 would still be concerning to me. It says, Akeem Hicks rejoined the Bears at practice. Stop it. Uh-huh. Stop it yep. now. So, Don't you turn. Yep, that, no. Right there. That he wrecked the no. game last dude, year. So. He wrecks every game. He wrecks right. every game. Because you know what? You, dude, and look how they that. play. Look how they played when Akeem <laughs> Hicks was not playing in week four. Yeah, they're they terrible. still struggled. Right. Dude. That he is their life force that people don't know about because he's so big in the middle. He's so loud and he never shuts up. And he's constantly like <laughs> screaming stuff. And you're like, dude, what are you screaming? He's like, I don't know. I'm just screaming. And you're like, all right, well, now they're on a roll and everyone's screaming and I don't know what's going on. But, dude, if he's coming back, because I'm telling you, they're in the hunt now again. These teams are catching these wins and they're like, dude, let's just ride this out as much as we can. Let me uh, throw this out there to both of you. Let's say that they do what they're supposed to do down the stretch here. And even if they uh, beat Green Bay or don't Green uh, beat Green Bay, I think this scenario ends up being the same because they lost last night and Green Bay has a really easy schedule. So you end up having to go to Green Bay to play Lambeau. But if they were to win the final four games, what do they have to do? Like, what has to happen? Because right now, we're talking about a football team that is very, very talented, that has had a lot of success against a lot of really bad teams, and has racked up some great offensive numbers, but is yet to beat a team with a winning record at this point in the season. Dallas and Oakland, both 6-6, six and six, not great teams, and those are your signature wins, I guess, so far at this point. So what would have to happen for us to be getting in our cars, you and I, Courtney, to drive down to old Green Bay, Wisconsin, stopping in the middle of the woods to get a ribeye steak like Judd and I did last time. Um, what would we have to do, Courtney, to feel very confident that the Vikings were going to win that game? I'd need to know that Xavier Rhodes is not playing. <laughs> that, to me, I think is because I've been calling for him to be benched since week eight, since the Washington game where he got hurt and you know he's given up. Oh, is he? he's like four for four for like 98 yards uh, thrown into his coverage from Case Keenum and Dwayne Haskins. What's that going to be like when it's Aaron Rodgers? And I think back to that first game that they played uh, in week two where they had no answer for Devontae Adams. Well, how are you going to do that now? How are you going to contain Aaron Jones? Like this pass defense is a serious problem. This run defense is now a serious problem. I don't want to say the skeptic in me gives them no shot, but like you got to make, you have to make a move. You have to be reactionary to this somehow because you've seen this experiment play out long enough this season, and it's going to kill you at some point. I agree, and I think that for me, it's the run defense, dude. You had that contained, and there was a lot of teams that you were. I mean, Zeke. 
I mean, Ezekiel Elliott had no business on the field in that game, and it made it one-dimensional, mm-hmm. which made it easy. When you open up Pandora's box to the run game, that is so deadly because now teams are like, dude, blood in the water. Let's get them. Let's just give them a heavy dose of what they don't want, right? Let's give them a heavy dose of double teams and cracking linebackers and beating up on cornerbacks that are already beaten up on. I mean, that, that was like a door that was so shut the teams were like, We'll sprinkle in some stupid plays. Maybe just keep them honest. But now people are going to be like, dude, they want to do this? We'll do it. Let's go. And you're going to play some really tough teams coming down the stretch, like the Bears that just love to line up and run power 45 times. They don't care. They're like, dude, this is what we make our money on. The Chargers, dude, they could get, oh, bro, they have what, two, three running backs on the roster. I yeah. mean, there's just teams that you're like looking like, wait a minute. You have to look at these games differently now. Because if you can't stop the run game, that opens up this whole team for a new dimension. Like Now you're really like, hey, Kirk, it's on your shoulders to get this game done. If Matt Nagy remembers his run game exists, then they'll do it. Yeah. Uh, I've been amazed at times where it almost feels like Matt Nagy is trying to prove a point to his GM. Like, look at what you drafted. Oh, yeah, throw it 40 times, <laughs> yeah. 45 times, bud. Go out there and show them exactly what you drafted instead of Mahomes or instead of Watson. <laughs> look at him. Look at him. Uh, ch- ch- Great job, Ryan. Chase is Great better. Job. Right? Um, so let me ask you this before we get to our neck roll of the week, Alex. When you are one team watching Monday Night Football. I imagine a lot of players just sit at home like we do after a Sunday. All right, let's see who's playing here on Monday night. And you're, let's say, the Lions or... Well, they can't do anything particularly good. So let's say you are the Chargers, who do, do have a lot of talent. And you're watching at home as a player. Do you know that very soon, when your team goes to play the Vikings, you're going to take things from what Seattle is doing? Because I could imagine... Other people looking at it go, looks like Linval isn't 110% health right there. Looks like they got some weakness there. Looks like, hey, who's our number six lineman? Like, right? I mean, are you doing that as a player getting ready? Oh, absolutely. And you're looking at the plays like, all right, so we're going to be bringing back the RPOs, and it looks like we're going to be making some wide zone. Got it. Out of the gun. Maybe a little pistol. Okay. (laughs) But... I've said this before. That is so easy to do. It is hard to do when you're on the field because you have to physically go out there and beat on Linville, and you have to beat on Shamar. Yeah. A lot of the plays that Chris Carson made were second effort. A lot of the plays that Rashad Penny made were second effort. Like, hey, I'll take your hit, and I'll give you some more. When a, it's, I think it's more the running backs. When you see that, from another team, and another team is getting life from that, you start to get excited. And as an offensive lineman, you're like, hey, listen, I get the formula now. we got to grind it out with these guys. we just got to keep pressing the gas button with them. we just got to keep going after them as much as we can. That's all Seattle did. They were just like, hey, man, we're, not, we're just too stupid to know what's going on. We're going to keep running the ball. We don't care. All right, before we wrap up, as we always do on Tuesdays, we have to give out our neck rolls of the week. Once upon a time, the NFL was tough. And the fullbacks wore neck rolls. Each week, we learn that the league hasn't gone soft. And for the player who demonstrated the most grit, we award the neck roll of the week. All right, neck roll of the week. I'm going to start it off because I was... Just appreciating the fact that a team wanted to, I don't even know if it's old school or just kind of a cool wrinkle, bring in another lineman for the entire game and just play (laughs) six linemen for an entire game pretty much. George Fant not only was that lineman, but did an awesome job. I thought he was really, really good. He was PFF's highest graded Seattle Seahawk. And that smart 
clever from the Seattle Seahawks to say, okay, you guys are going to try and shut down our deep game. Here's another fat dude and watch him block. So great job, George Fant. He gets my neck roll. Courtney, do you have a neck roll? I do. I'm going to give it to the Houston Texans defense. Um, I'll start with, Mm. I'll give it to the linebacker unit. I mean, watching Mm. them come in and what bulletproof vests. Yes. Um, Like, were they coming for a bank heist? Was that the group? I I don't know what the hell they were doing, but I thought it was awesome. But but Um, I'm good with that. If teams want to show up with themes like every day is Halloween. They've so done do that, it. though. Like yeah, The, the linebacker units, like Bernardrick McKinney and Whitney Merciless and Berkevious Mingo, like they all come every single week like Great that. Great group of names, also. I know. Just so amazing. But no, I think uh, the way that that defense, which has been, you know, you think about like how many cornerbacks they have that were former first round picks, Geary and Conley, Vernon Hargraves, like it's this mishmash of like presence that they've just been able to find on um, via trades and, you know. Bill O'Brien basically annihilates your roster, and yet they're still able to bring pieces in, uh, which I think is just a win whenever you can get a first-round pick off the street, basically. Um, they get my neck roll because they they made a very big statement against Tom Brady uh, and the Patriots, and I think that the way that they took away... I mean, not that there were any outside options anyways, but the way that they forced, <laughs> forced things inside and, and took those away, very impressive. All right, Alex... All right, so I'm not sure if I'm giving a neck roll this week because I told you who I was giving mine to. I know, I, I, and you were I disappointed. You were disappointed. He broke your heart. He broke my heart. Why, but you know you, what? Just explain. I, I still love the guy. C.J. Ham. I mean, the, what was it? The third play of the game. He mm-hmm. goes out there. He catches this quick little dink screen, right? K.J. Wright falls down in front of him like, please, Ham, fall with me. And Ham just takes it for like 40 yards. And I was, dude, what the first thing I did, I was texting you like the emoji eyes. Like, dude, Ham's all over. He was playing a great game the last play of the game. I don't want to talk about it. I'm still going to give it to him because of what he did. And he, he sparked life into a team. That's It's a tough place to do it. But I, I love him, CJ Ham. I got to. I'm sorry. Ham's all over was my um, band name. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, great job, Alex and uh, Courtney. Alex, you and I will get back together on Thursday, and we can preview the game the nation is waiting for: Vikings v. Blau. Oh yeah, <laughs> baby. We will uh, just break through the walls and the Blau. Let's talk some football. No, I'm sorry. This is uh, loader. Loader time. Yes, loader time. All right, we'll talk about that with you on Thursday, Alex. Uh, we'll talk to all of you tomorrow, two to four, as always, on Purple Daily. We'll catch you then. Thank you.